0: for us John chapter 5 uh, I'm going to start verse 39 He says you study the scriptures Jesus is saying diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life These are the very scriptures that testify about me Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. says, learn of me. Come to me. I think it's possible to know the Bible from front to back and not know Jesus. And so I want to talk to you today about not missing Jesus Father, we thank you for your word, and I'm asking you that you would help me express your heart for your people over these next few moments that we have together. Help it be life-changing. Help it to be something that resides deep within us gets planted deep in our heart. Let it even reside in our bones. Let it be like you said, You said man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Don't let these words be Robbie's words. Let these words be your words. My words can't give anybody anything, but your words can give the life that we need today. And we thank you that you are speaking. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen. 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 In Luke chapter 24, really cool story. Jesus has risen from the dead and there are these men that are walking on this road. Uh, Some of you have probably even done an Emmaus walk at some point in your life, and this road to Emmaus and Jesus encounters them. And when Jesus encounters them, these men are very frustrated because they had put their confidence in Jesus to be the redeemer of Israel. And it seems as if what Jesus came to do uh, he has failed in doing. And these men are frustrated. So Jesus comes up and he asks them, why are you guys so upset? And they're like, where have you been? <laughs> have you not been in the city? Did you not hear what had happened? Jesus, who we thought was gonna redeem Israel, Jesus is dead and now his body is missing and nobody knows where he's at. We had hoped. And I think in those Words right there, we had hoped. So much of our own frustration in our faith is that sometimes we expected God to do something and God didn't do what we expected him to do. Anybody in the room, maybe just throw your hand up in the air and say, yeah, I I thought God was gonna do it a different way. (laughs) We had hoped that he would restore Israel, that he would redeem Israel, that he would set us free, liberate us. In other words, in their mind, they had this picture that God was going to restore the kingdom of David, the lineage of David, and in Jesus, and in someone who came from David, their, their people would be restored. They they would control their own city and land again. Their land would be given back to them. Their property would be given back to them. Their freedom would be given back to them and they would be restored to the prominence of the good old days. Anybody miss the good old days? Sometimes just, I just wish it was 1985 all over again and I just wish, I just wish it was the day we live. I just wish it was back when Back to the Future came out. Like that's, The time period for me, that that was the good old days. The good old days. But Jesus didn't do what they thought he was going to do, and they were frustrated. But Jesus did everything he was supposed to do. This is Jesus' frustration with them, and Jesus has the same frustration with you and me. I've done everything I was supposed to do. What's your problem? This is basically the conversation that he's having with them. And then they beg him to come home with them. They sit, they eat a meal, they break bread together and Jesus leaves and as he leaves, the Bible says that they looked at each other and says, did our hearts not burn within us as he broke bread and he explained the scriptures to us? There's something that happens in your life when you start to really understand The point of the Bible. If you don't understand the point of the Bible, you'll read the entire Bible and you'll insert yourself into places and spaces that were never intended for you to be in. You'll start to think that you're David, you're Moses, you're Joshua. And that the point of the story of David is to teach you how to defeat your giants, how to slay your giants. But that's not the point of the story of David at all. The point of the story of David is that you're the coward who didn't go fight the giant And the hero of the story is Jesus who went to the cross, who fought the giant in your place. You're not the point. And this frustrated them and this frustrates us because I thought that Jesus had come to give me back everything that I had lost because of our shame and because of my brokenness and because of my difficulty and because of my trials. I thought he came to give me all that stuff back and when you don't get all that stuff back you leave frustrated because you misinterpret what the entire Bible is about. It's not about your glory, it's not about your fame. It's not about you slaying your giants, it's not about you leading people through the wilderness. It's all pointing to what Jesus would finish when he would become a better Moses, a better Joshua, a better David. Come on, somebody. This story is not really even about us, it's about Jesus. And they knew the Bible, but they didn't know the point of Jesus. And my concern for you and for me is that if we don't see Jesus clearly, even our Bible reading can lead us to a narcissistic moralism. And the Bible becomes a self help book with principles to make me a better person and to give me a better life and to teach me to slay my giants. When the focus of our faith becomes being good and getting better, we actually get worse and not better. (laughs) Every sinful act is born out of unbelief. It is not believing that what Jesus secured for me on the cross is enough. So I must secure it for myself. So if I have to secure it for myself, then I become Moses leading people through the wilderness. I become Joshua taking them into the promised land. I become David slaying all of my giants. But the point of it all is that Jesus has secured all of that for me and I don't have to secure it for myself. What is sin? Sin is a fake version of what you already possess in Jesus. Sin is a fake version of what you already possess in Jesus. In Genesis chapter 3, the devil comes to Eve and he says, did God say to you that if you eat from this tree that you will know good and evil and you will make a mistake and it will be the biggest mistake of your life. Did God really say all of that? See, what God, is, what God is upset about is if you eat from this fruit, Eve, what God knows is that you'll be like him. And she ate the fruit believing that she would possess something that she already possessed. When God made them, he made them in his image. She was already like him, but she was trying to get something. That's what sin is. It's you trying to get a fake version of what you already possess in Christ Jesus. Oh, man, this is good stuff. This is gonna help you because no longer do you have to be the hero of the story, you get to be the villain of the story who gets rescued by the hero of the story. You don't have to save yourself. You don't have to kill any giants. You don't have to lead any people through the wilderness. You don't have to take anybody into the promised land because Jesus has already done that for you. Listen to me, as a pastor, if I see myself as the one leading you into the promised land, I'm gonna fail just like Moses. But I'm not the one taking you into the promised land and you better be happy about it. You better be happy that it's not me. You better throw your hands up in the air today and say, thank God that it's Jesus who secures my victory. Colossians chapter one, verse 12. The Bible says this. It says, the apostle writes, he says, and I'm, I'm giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Now, you you can obviously look at the Old Testament. You can look at the stories of the Old Testament. You can learn lessons from David's life and, You can learn lessons from the life of Moses and you can learn principles from the life of Joshua and you can learn principles from the lives of the prophets and you can learn a lesson about Noah and he can teach you about things like obedience and all of that, but none of that is really the point. The point is that all of these stories lead to Jesus, who God Loves. And, and, and when you see that, this is what Paul says. He says, I give thanks because he has qualified you. He has rescued us. And he has brought us into. Look at what Jesus does for you. Jesus qualifies you, Jesus rescues you, and Jesus brings you in. Your salvation is not your responsibility. Your victory is not your responsibility. (sighs) I love the first phrase he uses. He says, he has qualified you. When we think of the word qualified, it means that it, it means that to be to be regarded, to be, to be thought of correctly, to be to be right, to be rewarded, to have what it takes, right? And so when God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to deliver my people, Moses' first response is, uh, have you considered anybody else? Could you use anybody else? When you read through the Bible, I don't meet anyone who God comes to and wants to do something incredible through who says, hey, you know what? I've been waiting for you to show up. I've been getting my life together. I've been living right for a long time. It's about time. Everybody got asked to do something feels unqualified, but Jesus, the Bible says, qualifies us. If you spend your life trying to qualify yourself, you will experience emotions very often, like self-pity, rage, resentment, selfishness, entitlement, and they all stem from trying to qualify yourself. It's when your worth and your value and what makes you matter is anchored in your status, your reputation, your position, who your friends are, who you know, how much money you have in the bank, what skills you possess, and all of this leads to this, this, this level, this level of recognition now that you receive, and the rewards that you get, and your financial security. And because of this system that the world puts its confidence in, no wonder the world is full of suicide. Why? Because every time we lose, it ushers in a grief and a shame that's unbearable. And you need to be, and I need to be, set free from the false definitions of who we are. Because in Christ, ultimately, who you are and who I am has nothing to do with us. Your failures, your accomplishments, how many times you've been married, how your kids turn out, what neighborhood you live in, title that you possess, the car that you possess, the degree that you possess, when your identity is rooted in Jesus, it's his accomplishments, not yours. It's his performance, not yours. It's his strength and not yours. In Christ, you start to realize Because when you live by the standards of this world and you try to be qualified by the standards of this world, you will spend all of your life running from your past. But in Christ, you don't have to run from your past anymore. You get to run to his forgiveness. You get to run to his freedom. You get to run to his strength. You get to run to his victory. What keeps you from knowing God, church, is not your badness. What keeps you from really knowing God is your goodness. It's your self righteousness, it's you thinking that you are good enough on your own. To deserve what Jesus has done for you. To deserve the favor that is on your life. And so if you're not careful, you're, you'll spend your life trying to measure up to Moses. Trying to measure up to Jacob. Trying to measure up to Joshua. Trying to measure up to David. Trying to be like one of the prophets. And Jesus said, I came to fulfill all of that burden and obligation for you. So that all that's left is me. Look. Look. Unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. I don't even have to start this thing. I don't even have to finish it. (laughs) This is making religious people upset. Because there's such a a part of us that, that lives for recognition. That's trying to possess something we already have in Christ. And it drains us and it wears us out and it wears us thin. No wonder we're so angry. No wonder we're so violent. No wonder we're full of so much rage. No wonder people are hurting people. No wonder people are saying what they're saying. No wonder people are doing what they're doing. They're not secure in Christ because in Christ he's accomplished everything for me. And so because he is someone, I'm free to be nobody. I don't have to live to impress anybody. Do you, know, do, you, do you know my last thought getting up to preach today was, man, I hope they're impressed. Like, I, don't even, I don't even think about that anymore. When I was younger and I was trying to find my identity, my identity was wrapped up in this. And so it's like, man, I hope they like it. I hope they like me. I hope it impresses them. I hope they think highly of me, you know, and, and, and all of that stuff is still there, but it, it pales in comparison to knowing that if you don't like me when this is over and I walk off of this stage, you know, who's going to give me a big hug. My father, God is going to wrap his arms around me and say, well done, Rob. And that's the confidence that I want for you. That's what I want you to live in. Not the confidence that comes from, from, from doing well on your job. That's great. Doing well in sports. Or, I, I just, I, as I watched my kids grow up and I, and, and I felt that expectation that they felt because of me. I really think some of my kids quit playing sports because they just got tired of dealing with me. It wasn't that they didn't love basketball anymore, it's just they hated dealing with me. They hated dealing with me in the car afterwards, the disappointment on my face when they missed a shot or they struck out or they failed. And, and, and if we're not careful, we'll take, and I'm a pretty good dad. And if we're not careful, we'll take that same type of mentality into our relationship with God. And every time we mess up, we're like, oh, man, I wonder if he likes me today. I wonder if he loves me still. I wonder if he still wants me. Am I even lovable? Am am I even desirable? Does God even still look at me the way he used to look at me? But God isn't looking at your performance. He's looking at what Jesus has done for you. And so when God looks at you, he sees you the same way he sees his son. That he loves. Oh, man. I love this statement. Robert Capone said this. He said, he's not related to Al Capone. He, <laughs> he said, uh, he said, Jesus came to call sinners, not the pseudo righteous. He came to raise the dead, not by drinks for the well behaved. oh even when it comes to prayer and giving the bible says man you should do those things not to be seen by people because if you do them to be seen by people there there you got your reward (laughs) man good job you gave in the offering today thumbs up didn't make you an ounce more holy Good job, you showed up to church today. Good job, you woke up. I know you're still in your pajamas, but you're watching online today. Good job, thumbs up. Didn't make you an ounce more righteous. So why should I give, Rob? Why should I show up? Because of Jesus. Jesus because of how much he's done, because of how much he loves you. Not because you're trying to be more holy. You search the scriptures, he said, because you think in the scriptures you find life, but you refuse to come to me. A lot of you came to church today, but you didn't come to Jesus. Came to church to find life today. What's Robbie gonna say today? What's he gonna read from the scripture today? What's Robbie gonna preach today? If you came for that, you missed the whole point of church. The whole point of church, if we sing about Jesus, we talk about Jesus, we preach about Jesus, we turn your eyes to Jesus. I didn't come so you could see me. I'm nothing to look at. I'm surprised Monica married me. I must have been something at 19 years of age, or she just must have been blind. If you want anything to change in your life, you need to look for Jesus. You need to see Jesus. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that that Jesus does. Jesus, he unlocks so much of what's been locked up in your life. When you start to see Jesus, when when you start to see the scripture correctly, things start to open up to you that never opened up to you before. People ask me all the time, Robbie, how do you see that in the scripture? I I just see Jesus. The reason I get some of the revelation I get out of the Bible is because I, I see Jesus, not me. I see Jesus in David, not myself. I see Jesus in Moses, not myself. I see Jesus in Joshua, not myself. And if I put myself in the story, myself is all I'll get but if I put Jesus in the story, I'll see Jesus in the story. And every every truth that God has for me will come alive in the story because I see the one that the story is really all about. Yeah. Yeah. Think about this. Even and not just not just our seeing, but our hearing. The Bible teaches us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, that's not that the word of God is, 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 is misunderstood to, to think hearing comes by reading the Bible or hearing preaching. Who's the word of God? Jesus. That's why many translations say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the message of Jesus Christ. Because you can hear preaching, but if you don't hear Jesus... Your hearing is not going to be unlocked. Your eyes are not going to be opened. There's a story in the Old Testament um, where, where Joseph uh, has been, he's been betrayed by his brothers. He's been put into slavery. He, he starts to be elevated in the kingdom. He becomes second in command. And his brothers now need food. And they come and and they come to Joseph for food. They don't know it's Joseph, but Joseph knows it's them. And the Bible says that Joseph says, I heard you guys, I heard you guys were talking about how, the, how, how you had a younger brother. Benjamin, Joseph knows he's got a younger brother, Benjamin, but he's, he's playing this game with him. And he says, he says, I want you to leave and go home and, and get your youngest brother and bring him to me. And so they're getting ready to leave. And he says, oh, but I'm going to keep Simeon. In prison, here, he's going to be locked up until you bring Benjamin. Simeon's name means hearing. Benjamin's name means son of my right hand. In other words, until the son of my right hand comes, hearing is going to be locked up. This is, this is your problem. It's not that you don't read the Bible. It's that you don't read the Bible looking for the son of his right hand. And until you read it looking for Jesus in every thee and but and I and is. I was just making sure thee, but, I, and is didn't make a meme out of me today. Okay, we're good. But until you see him, Your hearing is gonna stay locked up. New Testament, Jesus is born, Luke chapter two. Another man named Simeon. The Bible says he's in the temple, he's a devout man. Simeon also represents not only hearing, but Simeon is one of the 10 sons of Leah and the concubines. The 10 sons representing the law. Joseph and Benjamin representing the grace of God, the favor of God, the promise of God. Okay. So all the way to the New Testament, you have another Simeon, whose name means hearing, but Simeon's name also represents to the people one of the 10, one of the ten commandments. Simeon is in the house of God. He's a devout man of God. The Bible says when he sees Jesus, he looks up at God and he says, Okay, I'm free to go now. I have seen my salvation. Because when you see Jesus, the law says it's time for me to go. When you see Jesus, your hearing is opened. I, I need you to. I need you to understand this this morning, because if not, you won't understand why Paul says. He says, Paul. He calls himself the chief of sinners, because. If you are not the biggest sinner you know, you don't know Jesus. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Does this mean Paul was running around committing all kinds of sin? No. Paul recognized in himself, though, the capability and the ability to be the worst of the worst. And if you don't see that in you, you will never really see Jesus. If you keep coming to Jesus under some sort of pseudo-righteousness, self-imposed righteousness, some standard that you've built up in your own mind that you're able to approach God by, well, I guess I can go to church today. You know what? I didn't sleep with anybody in five days. Maybe I can lift my hands this morning. I didn't look at porn for three and a half hours. This is how we think. Maybe, maybe I can talk to God. Maybe God will do something for me. I actually tithed for about six weeks. I've been attending church a lot. Maybe I'm. Maybe God's going to bless me with a new car, and we we make all of these false assumptions, and we keep we keep staying frustrated in our faith because we are depending on our own righteousness to get anything from God. And the writer writer of Galatians, Paul, he said in Galatians chapter 3, he said, who has bewitched you that you have fallen from grace, that you who began in the spirit would try to finish this thing in the flesh? He said, did you not start by the grace of God? If you started by the grace of God, then you're going to end by the grace of God. It's not going to be based on your works. And if you're not careful, James chapter four will apply to you more and more. Even even as you read scripture more and you come to church more, have you ever wondered why Christians can be some of the most hateful human beings on planet Earth? James chapter four, verses one through three says, why are there Fights and quarrels among you. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He says you desire but you do not have so you kill. There it is. I want something that I already possess in Christ so I try to take it from you. You covet but you cannot get what you want so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not. Again, you don't come to me. You fight with each other because you want something that you don't possess in your mind. So why do we fight? I want respect. So I fight for respect. I demand respect. I manipulate to get respect. I lie to get respect because nobody will respect you if they really know you. So you got to pretend it's a fake respect. It's fake. It's all a facade because if they knew who you really were, they wouldn't respect you anyway. It's a lie. It's a false version of what you already possess in Christ. So in Christ, you don't have to hide anymore because who cares what they think about you? I'm free to be a failure because he succeeded for me. I'm free not to walk through this life trying to pretend to be somebody I'm not. And people are walking around like, why won't God bless me? Because he can't, Jacob. He cannot bless who you pretend to be. And you're pretending to be righteous. And you're pretending to be holy. And you're pretending to be somebody you're not. God is like, you. if you just come to me, I could stop all that fighting between you. I could stop all that arguing. I could stop all of that frustration because you think you don't have it, but you already possess it. You think you need to be qualified. I've already qualified you. You think you need to be right. I've already made you right. When I'm right with God, why do I have to prove myself to you? I don't have to fight with you to get the upper hand because I'm already right with God. And some of you in this room, you're going to ruin your life because you want to be right so bad. You're going to destroy relationships. So many people over this past year and eight or nine months have lost lifelong relationships and friendships. Why? Because I wanna be right. You lost people you love over a vaccine. You lost people you love over a mask. You lost people you love from some silly thing you thought you should post on social media. And you blocked people out of your life and you cut people out of your life. Why? Because I wanna be right. When you're already right with God, you lose that self-righteous desire to be right. I want to be justified. Well, you already are. (laughs) Ooh, man! Second Corinthians chapter three, verse five. Paul says, "Now that now that we are." Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. So he says, God has qualified you. I don't even have the words to express everything that that means. And he says, God has rescued you. Rescued. This, this has to do with our desire to find ourselves, fix ourselves, free ourselves. It's a big thing today. You need to find yourself. Now myself is why my life is a mess. I need to find somebody else. It's the pursuit of me that's wrecked my life. It's the pursuit of self. It's 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 trying to fix myself, free myself. Can't fix yourself. Can't free yourself. You really can't find yourself because yourself doesn't even exist without him. So what you're looking for is rescue. And the Bible says he's already rescued you. Galatians 5 and 1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What I see more than anything in the world today is people that are in bondage who think they're free. Free to do what I want, go where I want, say what I want, be who I want, do what I want. Oh, man, that's not freedom, bro. That's bondage. That's being a slave of your own desires. And then the Bible says, and he brought you into his kingdom. Wow, brought you into his kingdom someone said to me the other day I said how you doing they said holding on I said what do you mean I'm just trying to hold on to the Lord it's it's difficult these days we're in they're difficult and I'm just trying to hold on to my faith I'm just trying to hold on to Jesus and I thought you do realize that it's not your job to hold on to him. This is our problem. We're trying to hold on to him. The Bible, call, you know what the Bible calls you? Sheep. Sheep don't have hands. They have hooves. You weren't made to hold on to him. You were made to be held by him. The Bible says you're in his hand and no one and nothing can pluck you out of his hand. God doesn't lose grip of you. Why would you have to hold on to him when he doesn't lose grip of you? I'm hanging on to God by a thread. Okay. Okay. Whether it's by a thread or full-on grip, you're still in the same position in his hand. You've always been. God's not like, I'm going to dangle you over the fire just a little bit so you know how hot hell can be. Look at, look at, look at, look at, look at. That's not how God works. He says He brought. You don't have to bring yourself in. You don't have to finish this deal. He finishes it. Hebrews 7, 22 through 28. I'm going to read this and I'm going to let you go. It says, because of this oath, Jesus has become a guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented that since their death that prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he is a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely. Oh, man, that makes me happy. God doesn't save you halfway. When you, come, when you give your life to Jesus, you say, Jesus, I, I confess you as Lord and I give my life to you. God's like, okay, you're halfway there. Now, come on, come on, you can make it. No, when you get saved, he picks you up and says, I got this for the rest of your life. I'll never put you down. I'll never drop you. I'll never turn my back on you. I'll never turn my face away from you. I'll never, I'll never close my ears to your prayers. My eyes are always on you. My face is always looking in your direction. My favor is always in your life. This is the God you serve. Will you stand with me? So when he saves me, he completely saves me. Rob, is my salvation secure or does it depend on my works? Uh, It's secure because he does the saving. And he does it completely. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Even when you can't pray for yourself, he's praying for you. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, he is blameless. He is pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. For you to save your life, you'd have to be holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He says in verse 27 Unlike any other priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men in all their weakness, but the oath. See, this isn't the law because it's an oath. It's a promise. It's a promise that was given not just to us, but it was given to Abraham 400 years before the law was ever given. So this has always been about a promise to God. Even when the law was given, the law was never given as a means to righteousness He always wanted to bless us through promise. He says, for the law appoints us high priest men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. Forever. How long does my salvation last, Rob? Forever. What kind of life did God give me, Rob? Eternal. And it's, From that recognition that I read the Bible, that I see Scripture, when I I go to Jesus for my life, then I can read the Scripture, and the Scripture will give me the life that Jesus wants me to see in the Scripture. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, help us. Help us see you in every detail. Help us to see you clearly because if we don't see you clearly, we will not follow you closely. You're not a God off in a distant universe, somewhere far from us. You are a God who has come close in your son and now you have left your spirit with us who will live in us and with us forever and we thank you if we've put our faith in you we thank you that we are sons and daughters of god when rob now now every head bowed every eye closed if you're in this room and you say robbie i have not given my life to jesus i have not put my confidence in jesus for salvation maybe you're in here and you never have or maybe you're in here and you've been living a works-based life in other words you thought your good deeds were making you holy You thought your goodness was gonna get you into heaven. You thought that if, when you got to heaven, if you did more good stuff than bad stuff, you'd make it in. Let me tell you something this morning your badness isn't the thing keeping you from God, it's your goodness, it's your perceived goodness. If there's anybody in this room today who just needs to admit, God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. If that's you, I'm gonna count the three. And I want you to throw your hand up in the air and we're gonna pray with you. And in this moment, God is gonna supernaturally change and redirect your life. If that's you, I'm a I'm a sinner in need of a savior. One, two, three. Throw your hand up in the air if that's you. I see, you, I see you, I see you, I see you. Hands everywhere. Hands everywhere. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together, church. Come on, all of us together. Dear Jesus, thank you. Did you love me? you gave your life for me. I give you my life. Take all of it. Have your way. Use me for your glory. Thank you that you did for me what I could never do for myself. I am qualified in you. I am rescued by you. And I am brought in by you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen. Man, come on, let's put our hands together one more time. Thank you, Jesus.